0: Hey, g'day there, fellow humans, Mark Labusky here for the Simply Practically Human podcast. It's a Tuesday edition and um, feeling refreshed and whatnot and relaxed from the holidays, but a bit too relaxed. So didn't have uh, any potties in the bank. So I'm going to um, share one from some time ago with an amazing human being by the name of Bill Sturley from over in the uh, United States. And we talked about scary honesty. Bill is an incredible conflict mediator. We were just due to have a first-time chat on this one. I'd been introduced to Bill by my sister, Tony, but it turned out to be much, much more than that. So have a listen, get yourself comfortably uncomfortable with scary honesty, and um, I'll leave some reflections at the end. Enjoy.
1: Life can get pretty complicated
0: in the Simply Practically Human podcast. Mark LeBusque talks to incredible humans to see the way forward more clearly through the complexity in the world and in our heads. Let's get ready to thrive. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to be joined from the US by Bill Sturley, who is a communications expert and high conflict mediator for individuals, communities and for
1: companies as well. Bill, thanks for joining me. Mark, I am delighted to be here. I can't wait to share with your audience all the wonderful wisdom we're going to create together. So,
0: <laughs> mate, mate, I, I absolutely love it, and um, I, I do want to thank my sister Tony, who um, is also living in the US, and she's been doing a bit of work with me. and uh, And she's sort of, as she's got to understand what I'm doing, she's like, "Hey, you need to meet Bill." and Look, I love the idea of human beings who connect other human beings together, not not for any personal gain, but just because they think there's going to be some magic. Oh. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that magic coming out in the next yeah, uh, me too. Me 40 too. minutes <laughs> or so. But I always ask the question, this is one very much without notice, because we haven't done any preparation. We're flying by the seat of the pants here, which is the good way to go, on first impressions. So I've got to let you go first. If you could say a first impression of me, what would that be?
1: Well, the first impression is that you care about people. And the reason why is because uh, anybody that uh, looks to capture how to make uh, leadership go better, you've got to start with care. And that is uh, one of the things that you bring forward. And the, the second piece is around trust. It's like we've just met each other for a few minutes, but you can kind of get a sense that we can trust each other to make mistakes and come back from the mistakes and let uh, problems go by and and do what's best and and recognize that we're just both on the human journey to... Uh, see each other as a part of that, where we have stuff from the past, and we have got stuff in the present, and there's stuff in the future, and and we're just doing our best to to be here in that moment. So that's that's why trust is uh, the second thing. So those are two things that jumped out of me: the care for people and the the trust that that was uh, kind of started from the beginning, literally 15 minutes ago.
0: I love it. Thank you so much for those kind words. Sure. For me. Um, the word that came to me straight away as soon as you first spoke was like calmness. I'm like, hey, this guy is calm. He's just, hes actually, I've had a bit of an interesting morning of trying to catch up on some things and the mind's been racing a bit. And as soon as I saw you and you said a couple of words, I went, it was like a big deep sigh of, oh, it's wow. almost like... Uh, the yoda of calmness has turned up here and <laughs> i'm feeling very very calm again so mate i want to i want to thank you for that and it is incredible how you know i talk to people a lot about first impressions and i think it's really important that we we be more aware of those first impressions and and think about right. whether they're useful or not so just on that because we are going to get into conflict resolution and things but just your thoughts around the importance of how first impressions can impact on, I guess, whether we get into a curious conversation or we get into a conflict?
1: That's a great question, Uh, especially the word curious being in there and then also the adversarial conflict that can come up. And the first impression, the thing that gets in, in the way from allowing our intuition, whether it's a creative intuition or a logical intuition to get in the way, has to do with a very simple binary piece that that human beings can switch. And it has to do with the difference between judgment and observation. Those simple words. Now, observation is tough to do because our language is riddled with judgment. So, for example, if I go into the kitchen and I look at the kitchen table and I see that there is milk on the table and a cup is on its side. The judgmental phrase is, who spilt the milk? The observational phrase is, when I see milk on the table. Yeah. Now, I know it's a small nuance, but darn, that makes a big difference. Because if <laughs> I yell in the other room at my boys and say, who spilt the milk? I'm going to get a lot of resistance and I didn't do it. The dog did it. Aiden did it. Somebody else did it. You know, the <laughs> how did it get there? I don't know how it got there, you know. And immediately I'm in a conflict just by the first sentence.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love that. And, you know, um for those who work a bit with me, you know I'm I'm fascinated by first impressions and particularly judgment. This idea that I say we have um, two filing cabinets in our head—the old school filing cabinets, you know, the the, the old grey metal boxes. One's one's got eight drawers of bad stories and bad judgment and and quick to judge, and the other one has some good stories in it. But we we get so caught up in that, um, who spilt the milk? Correct. And and all of a sudden we go from the curiosity of wondering what what could be going on here to it must be built.
1: Yeah, Mark, I am so glad you brought that up because really literally, and and you're going to tell this story about a bazillion times from this moment. So feel free to steal this moment. Okay. So the front part of the brain has 400,000 neuro connections, the front part of the brain. And it's, it's got from a metaphor standpoint, it's got some responsibility for logic, and future thinking, logic and future thinking. So that's the front part of the brain. The back part of the brain, the limbic part of the brain has 4.3 million connections per micron. And it's responsible for emotion and habit that's based in safety. Habit based in safety. So now I've got If you think about it, 4 million versus 100,000, we got a 1 to 10 ratio going. Yep, yep. So we're going to filter through emotion and habit in regards to safety versus logic and future thinking. Where are we going is here, and what is the quickest way to get there, or what is the logical, rational way to do it is over here. Meanwhile, This part of the brain's going like, oh, yeah, emotion and habit will always win over logic and future thinking unless we can integrate those with language phrases. And that's why a part of my communication expertise and the thing I work on my clients with and I do in my company trainings is to get verbal language coherence between the logical part of our brain. The visionary part of our brain, the emotional part of our brain, the safekeeping part of our brain. You've got to at least have some compassion and empathy for those four different parts. And then then all of a sudden our communication can stretch and then adjust to somebody saying something crappy. So if somebody says something really junky, we've got to be ready to really be more compassionate to the junkie thing rather than being defensive or critical or, or withdraw from it, use criticism or withdraw or contempt. It's like all those make it go really bad, you know? So, so, and it's really important to really get language congruency and harmony because that's where authenticity and the calmness comes from.
0: I love it. So I am going to steal that line, by the yeah, way, and oh. um, I think it's brilliant. And I'm just going to share with you quickly and feel free to use this one. When oh. I run my programs and, and 80% of the work is on self, you know, right. because I think that's where the key work is. The very first activity they do in the room is a game called judging Mark. Judging Mark. And so I'm like, guess what you're going to do right now is you're going to make judgments of me. And people look at me, Bill, like they're horrified, a lot of them. Some smile, but people will, someone will go, but I don't judge anyone. And I'm like, you already have. Yeah, you already have. So so, <laughs>
1: you're, you're well, give me,
0: let me give you one to judge me on. <laughs> yes. Which of these reality TV shows would I be better at, do you think, based on what you know about me? Would it be Survivor or Dancing with the Stars?
1: Oh, well, um, I think you would lean a little bit more towards Survivor, but there is a part of you that has some skill in Dances with the Stars because <laughs> of the competition and the interpersonal aspect. Because you got to, with Dancing with the Stars, you got to get in partnership with somebody. With Survivor, you've got to really kind of figure out how to game the system and use the, the energy. That's really a good question because those two things have a very strong interpersonal dis- connections. to, yep. is this more competitive or is it more collaboration and cooperation? Which is, that's how you win the game in Dances with the Stars, is not stepping on your partner's toes yep. and helping your partner to look good. Whereas the other one is like, you know... <laughs> how can I, how can I move the edge? But, but I just see that a little bit of the competition part of you or that, that, that challenge part of you that you may enjoy. But uh, I mean, you're, you're pretty close is Mm. what my first assessment would be. Now you might, you might have a different assessment of that, but (laughs) that's my first take.
0: What what I love, thanks. Thanks for your answer. Uh, Again, without notice, what I love in the room is when people, they do a couple of things. I'll be like, They'll come up with an answer, which one person might say "Dancing with the Stars," the other says "Survivor," and they'll have very, very they might even have very similar reasons for a different answer,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or they might also have very different reasons for the same answer. And I keep saying to people, it's because there is so much going on up here in your head. To a very simple question, people can go everywhere. They'll say to me, "Well, you look like uh, you look pretty." Some people say you look pretty jacked and buffed, so you must be Survivor. and Or, you know, y- your boots that you wear look like you could dance well. And I, I just love how we access, yeah. I'm going to call it lived experience, what we yes. see, what we hear. I might look like someone who was on Survivor. And people keep right. saying, I'm like, the fascination right. of judgment
1: is 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 incredible. But now now uh, I'm going to put a pause there cuz this is like really really huge. It's a very important thing to talk about. Perception and perspective. Yes. Those two words are really really valuable here. And here's the bad news. The bad news <laughs> to get that out of the way, the bad news is people are coming from their perspective first. Because they're valuing something there, then here comes, they're projecting something. I value this. I would rather be on dances with stars. Therefore, I'm going to look for elements in Mark that matches dances with stars. Therefore, it must be that because it's validating my perception and my perspective of the world. And then same thing would go on their survivals, my perception and my perspective. It's called preference casting. It's my thinking style on top of your thinking style. Yep. And they're just looking for evidence as human beings do. We look for evidence that validate what we know, not for what's possible, or here's when it gets unsettling, for what's real. Yes. We're not. We're not looking for truth or reality. We're more looking for validation and, <laughs> and, and, and proving that there is something that's familiar.
0: I, I love that. And here's, here's where people get really pissed with me in the room is after we've done the judgment game and we've gone through the five judgments yes. that they judge me on, I simply move on to the next thing. And someone will stop me and go, are you going to tell us the answers? And I'm like, no. Why is it important? And they're like, well, we have to know. And I'm like, well, why do you need to know? Well, we just have to know. And I will like, well, tell me why. And someone will say, I need to know that I'm right. Boy, doesn't that
1: validate what I just said a couple of seconds ago? That's, it's, what, that's why it's, I love it, Bill. It is fantastic. It, it is. I want to make sure that my perception and perspective of the world is real. The mind fills in the information. It makes up the reality on whether it's Dancing with the Stars or Survivor. It's filling in a, here it comes, truth perspective. Yep. And what winds up happening is the problem is, is that what we are thinking is real may not be. Our perspectives, yep. our beliefs our gro- are preventing growth and learning and change. It is so physiologically dynamic that it literally affects our senses. Yes. Our smell shuts off. Our vision shuts down. Our hearing shuts down. Do you know when someone's anger, 74% of their hearing drops off when they're angry? That means they're only hearing one in four words. Yep. That means you got to like shut up and pick good words. (laughs) Because and a lot of times in a high-conflict mediation, I'm just using one word at a time or three-word sentences or seven-word sentences. So let me give you an example of that so you can get a taste of this. Here's two people talking. All right, here they come. Here's what the first person's going to say. Be careful, it's going to be violent. You are a racist. Now, you want to make sure... (laughs) (laughs) You're picking good words next. Now, before I give you the answer, Mark, what would you say back to a person that just pointed at you and said, you are a racist? What do you say back?
0: I'd I'd very quickly go, no, I'm not.
1: Correct. That's what one of the audience members mentioned to me. It says, I know this isn't right, but no, I'm not. Because no, I'm not is a protective, defensive sentence. It's not about the other person. It's about you. And your identity and your respect and your who you hold yourself to be. But watch my new sentence that I'm going to say back to, you are a racist. Watch this. Sir, could you be angry and you really need some mutual respect between us? Is that correct? Um, um, yes. Now I'm not talking about racism anymore. Yep. I'm talking about mutual respect. Here, watch this one. You are a racist. Could you be feeling aggravated and you need me support? You need me to support you in a way that's going to work for you. Um, um, yes. Now we're not talking about racism. We're talking about what does support look like between yep. two human beings? And by the way, there's two more of these. You are a racist. Could you be feeling helpless about fairness? You are, you are a racist. Could you be furious about justice? Yes. Yes. So, this is the fundamentals to get to be second nature in your company or inside yourself as an individual so that you can get back to talking about fairness, mutual respect, support, and justice. I'll have that conversation all day. Mm, Yeah. Trying to define racism. I am not doing that sentence.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get that. That's 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 such a powerful thing. Digging a bit into Bill and and, and your upbringing and sort of what got you into this fascinating and I say very important work. If you could share a bit about your backstory.
1: A- absolutely. There's uh, three primary questions that have led my personal and professional career. Three. I started out in uh, science, anatomy and physiology. I taught high school. Uh, biology, chemistry, and uh, various different sciences. And I kept noticing this same question that was gnawing at me. And the question was, why do people think the way they do? That was the first question. You ask good questions, and the universe and others start circling around the darn question, right? So that was my first question. Why do people think the way they do? And I came across a model that I really, really enjoy because the vocabulary is very strong. And it's more business-oriented, and it keeps its, what I call, stays in its lane. It talks about thinking process. So you and I would know an engineer to be a person that thinks logical, analytical, fact-based, and quantitative. We know that, which is different than a social worker. Interpersonal, feeling-based, kinesthetic, and emotional. Those are different people. An artist, holistic, intuitive, integrating, and synthesizing. Those are values, important thinking values, that run an entrepreneur, an artist, a marketing person. Those values run them, which is different than an operations person or an administrator, which works off of planning, organizing, detailed, sequence, implementation, yeah. Those are different than the creative person. The creative person can't implement unless you twist their arm to get to closure sometimes. So there's a battle that is happening inside our consciousness regarding thinking. So that was the first question that drove my professional career. Now, here's when the good nose shows up: is that that's not enough to know why somebody thinks the way they are. You also need to know. Second question, why do people behave the way they do? So that's the second question that started driving me. Why do people behave the way they do? And then another mentor showed up there who was an international mediator. He would fly into war-torn countries yeah, where people are killing each other and then go, yeah, we're going to talk about this.
0: <laughs> yep. And
1: I'm thinking to myself, you're going to get shot, dude. You're going in with a languaging tool. <laughs> So my moment was sitting in this workshop and listening to him speak for the first time. And he said the sentence, when I flew to central Nigeria to mediate between two African tribes in a village where six months earlier, there were 800 people and now there were only 600 people. I slid my ass to the edge of the chair and went, (laughs) teach me Yoda. Yeah. Yeah. Because in that moment, I recognized whatever he was doing with the languaging tool would work with any of the petty (laughs) conflicts that I was dealing with. Because this is a guy that could get shot in that setting. Mm. And he's going in there and stepping into it and taking a step about how can we get. These two groups of people that are killing each other to stop, kill each other. And then he role played an example of that taking place. And when he did, my jaw just dropped. I'm going like, "You are kidding me. Mm. You've got to listen to what they're saying, but yet provide compassion and empathy for what they're what they're saying here. And that compassion and empathy has a specific formula. Holy crap. Let me use that. And again, it's the same thing. So, In America, we had a city five years ago, Flint, Michigan, that had a water crisis where they pumped really junky water into the system and it caused a lot of people to die, 12 people or so. And so I I flew in, I flew in into that setting to train people about what do you say to each other now when they're furious and helpless and confused. And here's what really needed to take place. And what wound up happening is is that they did not not get the level of support that they needed. Yes. And so they felt pretty furious about it because the need for justice couldn't be met and the need for support, you know, or, you know, just respect for life couldn't be met and accountability for that. It took two years for accountability to show up, modestly speaking.
0: It's interesting that thanks for sharing. Just what's going through my mind when you were saying that, Bill, is that like there's there's the issue which is important, which is the water. The magic is to get above the issue to the things you talked about: compassion, accountability, justice. But we whether it must have something to do with what you talked about the brain. I, I'm not an expert in this stuff, but we seem to keep getting dragged back into the the issue, which is the water. And the and the issue could be anything in the workplace. It could be one right. department arguing with another department, and, and they don't get up into, what's fair here? What do we think fair would look like? Or they, they, they're caught more up in, hey, you did the wrong thing. No, you did the wrong thing.
1: What's going on there? What, what's going on there is, language-wise, is people get handcuffed into three different language strategies. Language strategy one is blame. Yeah. Language strategy number two is guilt. And language strategy number three is shame. Yeah, Those three things prevent people from being honest. They can't be. They can't be accountable or honest. Wow. When you're in a place of blame and shame, all you're doing is trying to control and manage the system of blame and shame. <laughs> and it's literally, and this is a two-hour discussion just on blame and shame by the way is how the cycle the shame cycle goes around and around and literally trips or handcuffs people in relationships i could talk you know you and i can do a whole one just on relationships here about i said this you took it this way and i meant it this other way and yeah i can see that you took it that way but that's not the highest way i meant it to be spoken. I was trying to contribute or give awareness. I wasn't trying to judge or criticize you. I was just saying, hey, I happen to have the answer. Why don't you take it? It was a free gift.
0: The blame piece is interesting because my I call him my leadership superhero. He's been on the podcast, Professor Marty Linsky from the Harvard Kennedy School, uh, one of the founders of adaptive leadership. And he asks a simple, I'm going to say a simple question, but it hits you in the face like you wouldn't believe, which is when you are blaming, he says, what's your part in the mess? And it's like, no, no, it's not me. You don't understand. And it's like, well, what's your part in the mess? And he keeps asking that question until I think you've got to access something else then, which isn't blame. Um, Maybe not the shame of not being able to fix whatever it is, but it's like, okay, now I need to hold the mirror up to myself. And I think this is really, really powerful is holding up the
1: mirror and holding up the mirror, but not holding up the mirror to look at blame or shame no. uh, back at me, but hold up the mirror to ask myself the honest question, what should am I creating in my brain? Yeah. What have to am I creating in my brain? Mark, I have this wonderful little book over here right behind me. It's called How to Make Yourself Miserable. That's the name of the book. <laughs> and it's a book with all these different sentences you can say to yourself to make yourself miserable. For example, what do you say to yourself if you're not a rich person? Here are some things you can say, and it has like four items there you can say to yourself to make you miserable. I'll never make money again. I don't really deserve money, blah, 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 blah. By the way, right after that section, the next sentence is how to make yourself miserable if you have money. And here's 10 things you can say to yourself. Number one think about all the money that things you wonderful things you could have done if you didn't have to pay so much taxes <laughs> think about people being nice to you because you're rich and you'll buy things for them think about oh my gosh it's like you cannot escape the two different voices on both sides of your head see it's not about speaking positively yeah it's about speaking authentically and vulnerably to an upset or to a celebration or acknowledgement. That makes the big difference. And that is what knocks blame and shame right out of the conversation. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you introduce a vulnerable sentence and they get to tell the truth next. Yeah, I guess I can see how you chose that and that you're really kind of mad and that's why you tell me to, you know, F off and get lost. Oh, so you're really mad and you really wanted to be heard and you didn't get the respect you wanted and that's why you said it. And they'll go, yeah, that's what I meant. <laughs> well, you may want to pick that one because that would have worked better
0: the first time. Just on that too, just vulnerability. So, as you were talking then, and you, when you, when you said the V word, because the V word's like a bit is, is a is a popular word. I know Brene Brown's work and people love it. And correct. And I think at times people these days try and almost vulnerability becomes like a in the workplace. I'm saying almost like a KPI. Like, how many times have you been vulnerable or a competition? Now, I'm also going to say this. I want your thoughts on this, Bill. I reckon that, but I'm going to say particularly men here, but, but most human beings, when we got into the workplace, when they handed us our car keys and our laptop and whatnot, they also gave us a suit of armour to put on that says, you need to put this on at times so that you are not vulnerable, because being in the workplace is about being strong and tough and not showing weakness and these sorts of things. Um, With the work you do, how do you help human beings to step into their vulnerability in some of those things you just talked about? Because I think this is really important.
1: It is very, very important. Uh, The first step is to make the concept called scary honesty safe to speak in the workplace. So the word scary and the word honesty has got have to be next to each other. Cuz people will always admit or say and even fight for that they're honest people. But if you put the word scary honesty in front of it it's like hey listen manager I have some scary honesty something did not go well. And yeah. you just start talking about this so you know about it. So that's step number one, making scary honesty safe between fellow employees and management. I have some scary honesty, vice president. I have scary honesty, CEO. I have some scary honesty. Do you want me just to be nice or do you want me to do honesty? Because I think you'd rather have honesty at this point. Oh, yes. Bring me honesty. Second, bring bad news early. That's the next piece. Bring bad news early. I do not want to hear bad news one, two, three, four, five days later. Don't want to hear it then. I'd rather hear it as soon as possible with the phrase, hey, listen, I have some scary honesty. And this is the first time I heard about it. I heard about it about an hour ago. And I wanted to take a moment to see if you have time to hear scary honesty. Is this a good moment? Or would you rather sleep tonight? And wake up tomorrow to deal with the scary honesty. And usually the person says, I do not want to sleep, thinking about some scary honesty that you're not telling me. Could you just <laughs> tell me and get it out of the way? Yep. Well, just want to let you know that the product went out and it had this broken thing. The thing went out and there's a loophole in the contract. Here's what happened, and somebody stole money from us. Whatever the scary honesty is, it's Hey, you know, someone stole my data, our database, or we stole somebody else's database. <laughs> you know, that's, whatever the scary honesty is, you want to get that out in front. And then, then all of a sudden, well, we're bringing bad news early. That means who do we need to get on this so that we can mitigate the damage as quickly as possible? Because if this festers, there's a lawsuit coming down the line, there's a PR mess that's going to show up. You know, let's see how we're going to deal with this as soon as possible with scary honesty. Now, the third thing on this list is be able to talk about making it that when a person brings bad news, the person that is hearing the bad news is going to make it safe that they're not going to fire the person. They're not going to judge or take it out on that person. It's just the thing is in front of us. It's not between us. Because if it's between us, then I'm going to fire or I'm going to rant at you or I'm going to do this. It's like we need to turn it so if there is an ally that takes place. Yeah.
0: That's really powerful, my, because like I've never heard scary honesty before. Like imagine if in organisations, we say one thing we value, like we have, we see values on the wall and you ask people what their values are and they go, oh, I think integrity and there's something else and they don't know it. But like, what if you just said, let's value scary honesty. And then the things that can roll out of that would be, first of all, I don't feel that I'm not going to be safe now to say what needs to be said rather than what I think people want to hear is the first part. I'd love your second bit. The amount of people that hang on to the bad news until the bad news turns into an absolute shitstorm, and <laughs> and then you can't have you then can't have the safety because you're now gone into crisis. Like
1: you've gone from small problems to big. It was big, right? And as we've noticed, especially during the pandemic time, people are having trouble with scary honesty. The scary yep. honesty is we got to get in front of this somehow, and we've got to. Move into a collaborative, cooperative space, not in a competition on whose belief and whose supposed fact is correct. Just because the person is making up a world perspective that the world is flat. yeah. We're yeah. not going with that belief now. We can have a <laughs> we can have a fun discussion about, you know, what the evidence might be that you're proving the world is flat, that it makes some sense to you about that. Meanwhile, every other celestial body is round and we're watching it spin. Somehow our planet is different than all of them, yep. which is a whole nother problem. <laughs> it's <laughs> like this is kind of the evidence that the red spot is spinning and that wouldn't do that. If it wasn't a round thing that was going on. Anyways, so, and because a person wants to hold on to that belief, that's when it gets really unsettling because that's, and also by the way, that's when truth doesn't work as well. Yeah. You cannot talk somebody out of a belief. You need to empathize them to a neutral position. I just said something that's worth a couple of hundred thousand dollars there. Yeah. Okay. You want to empathize a person to a neutral position where they can consider your truth as possibly true. Yeah. It doesn't have to be all the way true, but it's just possibly true.
0: This comes back to that curse of rightness, this thing that, you know what? I think one of the true essences is, is of great leadership is that we get to the point where we can accept that our truth may actually not be the truth that's going to take us forward. I think that's a really yes. powerful yeah. place to be.
1: Yeah. So in America, we have this insurance company. It's uh, called Progressive Insurance. That's the name of the company. And the company has this gal that has a white coat and has progressive and blue letters across. Yep. And she is basically like you're buying insurance in a box and you're selling it off of it and it's very, very static and stuff like that. And and it's kooky, but it's memorable. Now, when that company first launched, it was a high-tech company. It was like, we are going to save you money because we're cutting all the administration out of this and it's all done online and it's really easy to do and it's all done online and we're techno geeks that can do this thing. Meanwhile, their insurance sales were flat. Once they introduced this gal, Flo, and all of her minions of white coat people that are this thing, and started selling insurance into the belief structure of safety, predictability, ease, and as soon as they started selling there, the profits just went nutty, went up, because they were selling to the belief Yep. Of the purchaser of the customer, not the identity. Oh my gosh, you're going to have so much fun with this. Not to the identity of the company, but to the belief structure of the customer. That's when the profits showed up. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things I do with companies is I help them find that difference. This is your perception and your identity. You may want to put that on the shelf because no one wants to buy that with your product. But here's what your customers are going to buy. This is what they're going to look at, and it's going to work.
0: There's a lesson there for people who may be listening who are so caught up in the brilliance of their product or service or oh, whatever geez. it is that they're blinded uh, to, I, blinded. I, wonder what, I wonder what the customer wants. I wonder what the customer believes in. Um, It's such a powerful point there. Hey, um, I'm thinking about something that puts, i got to get a bit of shit off my liver here, all right? Difficult conversations. Yes. So I used to go to difficult conversation training and then I used to have difficult conversations and most of my clients today say, I've got to have difficult conversations and I don't like them. And one of the things I say to them is, How about thinking about this? I wonder if you removed the first word in those two words that you said to me that the conversation may be different than a difficult conversation. What if you put the word curious in there instead of difficult i want to get your sense you're an expert in this area am i just thinking of this too simply
1: no not at all i think that uh, not not too simply but i there is a couple of really fun upgrades that you're going to enjoy the first one i want to celebrate with you is the word curious The word curious is a very valuable word because it energizes the upper right part of our brain, the creative part of our brain to think about the what ifs or the possibilities. So the word curious is really valuable to us as human beings. So a curious conversation puts the speaker and the listener into more of an observational state rather than a judgmental state. So I think your swap out from the word difficult things now. Here's one of the biggest challenges is that a difficult conversation, a one that you need to apply curiousness with is one that when you approach from the place of observation and know that it's more like going through a dark cave to find diamonds gems precious metals a curious conversation is you're not going into a dark cave you're a miner that is going to extract this conversation is going to have me have a breakthrough in my relationship a breakthrough regarding identity in my relationship partnership in my relationship, sexuality in my relationship. I teach, if if I feel curious and I would like to have an experience about something, then I need to bring an acceptance that it's going to be uncomfortable to, here it comes, grow and get a greater level of connection on the other side of the cave. It's like, you got to go in. Yeah you got to bring a flashlight. you got to look for really important things. Be curious. And as you're going in and finding curious, all of a sudden, a light will show up on the other end of the cave. Then you go to the light, and there's a candle there with a bunch of gems and valuable stuff. Then you turn the corner by asking, being curious. And then there is a way through the cave, and it wasn't all that scary. Yeah. You know, the scary honesty is it's like, yeah, it's going to stink for a little while because there's a lot of unknown inside the cave. But you apply a the mindset of curiousness, change, breakthrough, improvement, efficiencies, awareness. I wasn't aware that I was treating you like my mother or treating yep. you like my father. I wasn't aware that I was recreating the family that I grow up with. Huh. Probably not a good strategy since I didn't like the family, the way my parents talk to each other. Probably not. I want to kind of do something a little different.
0: Mate, thank you so much for that. The other word I picked up in there that you use, which is super powerful is in conversation is observation. Observation. Because when I used to get a difficult conversation training. I was more like Neanderthal type training. They would say, "You know, you've got to say, I think this, I think this, and I saw this." And but it's like when you go in curiously, here's here's what I've been observing. Then I'm wanting to try and understand that observation is really important. It's not I think this, I I think you did this, I think you did that,
1: and then all of a sudden you are into conflict yeah that doesn't work as well uh, the trainings that i give people and and all of a sudden i i can see that you and i can have some fun place with this is that is that we want to train the mind to be able to keep problem solving secondarily yes. to empathy so the phrase is that that will work all the time is empathy before problem solving Yep, so that's the phrase. Now the now there's a second challenge to go through is people don't have a very strong definition for empathy. They have experiences of sympathy, but they do not have a strong definition for empathy. So let me give you my Practical definition for empathy right now. And those people can go to my website or uh, look me up for training in this. And I am wonderful. I got a new program in 2022, a new certification program that I'm taking people through that are going to kind of certify a person in this style of emotional intelligence, this style of empathetic communication. So the fun part about this is is that when we get a solid definition of empathy, we're literally trying to fill in two blank parts of the question. Okay, so empathy only occurs when, and here's the definition, empathy only occurs when a feeling word and a need word are connected and agreed upon. Then you have a moment of empathy, a feeling word, and a need word are connected and then agreed upon. So watch this. I'm guessing that you might have felt tired and you need some rest. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. That's a moment of empathy. Feeling is tired. Hmm. Need is rest. I love it. Now, what winds up happening is that you and I are adjusting or calming our narrative down. Like you said at the beginning, Bill, you're calm. How do you, You're like, I mentioned you're like calm. Well, I'm calm because I am empathizing with myself as I go. So at the end of the day, I almost have as much energy at the beginning of the day and the end of the day. Yeah. People go like, how do you turn around, you know, with the amount of sleep you get? I'm going like, because my body, I'm not putting my mind and my thoughts under such stress throughout the day. Feeling energized and delighted and relieved because I am contributing. I'm staying present. I am setting good intentions that really help. And it's it's not about just positive thinking. It's about congruency. Yeah. Solution focus.
0: What will happen in most of those meetings? And here's the other thing. First of all, is your your second point about bad news early? So not so much about bad news early, but but having those conversations early rather than holding, you know, we avoid them. Like, Bill, I need to catch up with you about something I need to talk to you to about. And you go, sure, let's catch up on Friday. Yep. And then I, I call you and I go, Bill, I can't catch up Friday now. It's going to have to be Monday. So over the weekend, I'm building up the what's going to happen. You're thinking what the hell's going on. By the time we get there, shit hits the fan or I've already worked out what the solution is. So if Bill just was better at this then I wouldn't have the problem and then everything would be happy. And I love your idea of problem solving has to sit second. But I think we put problem solving at the front.
1: And people are solving the wrong thing most of the time. It's too much work. Yeah. Well, it's also
0: about identity and reputation. And, you know, I'm a problem solver, so I'm going to fix the world. And it's like, no, just shut up and put your problems away for a while, and then do some observation and some interpretation and some perspective stuff. That's right. Sprinkle empathy in people, if you would, and then you'll get it. Um, we will get to your website now, because I want you to share some of these programs, but what you've got coming up. Um, it's a very simple question, maybe not, a, maybe not a simple question. I have a view that we might overcomplicate things a little as human beings, even though there is a lot of complexity I also believe that we miss the simple stuff in life because maybe it's not as doesn't make us look as smart as what we want to look. What what are your thoughts around human beings being romanced towards the flame of the complicated and complex rather than sitting back to looking at the simple?
1: The need for respect and recognition, the need for acknowledgement, identity, self-worth are attractive lures for us because you can get recognition, you can get financial security by doing it that way, if you'd like. And what I usually recommend is that we learn how to get those needs met in a healthy way, but also have some empathy skills, get a robust-feeling vocabulary, develop a robust needs-based vocabulary, and what happens is the answer will start coming to us, and there'll be respect to go around. There'll be recognition to go around. You don't have to like think it's like, I got to get. It's like, holy crap, look what we all got. Yeah. How do we get the next step? And the next step is to take some time, get some coaching, get some practice, get Companies to start resonating, building this kind of harmony inside their group. And the tools that I'm teaching you were applied six years ago in Microsoft. Yeah. To change them from competitive to cooperative. Nice. And it literally changed the company in five years. The company completely changed its tension, competitive culture. And uh, it was amazing. And Microsoft literally took my mentor's work and put it into their company and changed and transformed their company culture in less than five years.
0: That is an amazing story to show what can be achieved if you, what can if be you achieved. go this way. Now, listen, let's finish up with, there'll be so much excitement on the other end of this. And I mean, the listeners going, right now we need to know more about Bill. So where do people find you, Bill? Where do they get in touch with you and, and learn about your magic?
1: Yeah, the easiest place is to start at my website and just uh, send me an email from there. It's uh, Bill, and the last name is spelled S-T-I-E-R-L-E.com. Uh, and just go to billsturley.com and there are several different offerings. You'll see what I offer from the business perspective and the personal perspective. And then I have some online training there that's available as well as a certification program that is, uh, we're putting some new pages up right now on that right now. So that's going to be very exciting. Magnificent. Yeah. So, all right, man, more to come. Let's figure out the next time you and I can connect, okay? I think that's really important. I just want to say
0: one thing to finish. Acknowledge the great work of my sister, Tony, who said you should meet this human being. And so people think about this, just introducing people. When you feel it and go, that could be a good connection, do it. Mate, I just want to say thank you to you from everything from calmness to dancing to Survivor to empathy. This has bloody energized my whole day, Bill. So I appreciate you coming on. You're welcome, Mark.
1: Looking forward to the next time we take it out for a spin, okay?
0: I guess the thing again that stands out, even though it's the second time through for me, is uh, the term scary honesty and the ability to have those conversations that I actually think too many people to leave behind. I'm uh, right in the middle of one of those at the moment. I'm awaiting a um, call that I think might be a bit scary for someone else and it's been held off. But uh, I just would prefer that uh, we had that conversation early and we got on with our lives. So um, have a think about what are you hanging on to right now that you really need to talk about? I talk about the known unspokens at times. What's your known unspoken that you need to talk about because it's holding you back and holding someone else back or might be holding your whole organisation back And you usually find once you have that conversation and you find the way to do it, that things aren't as bad as you think they're going to be. So there's my challenge to you. Step into that scary, honest conversation. Hey, if you love this one, if you've not heard it before, even if you have heard it before, why not rate it five stars? Leave us a little comment why. And if you liked it, share it with your friends. But until next time, I won't be a slack and you'll get a, uh, a new guest. Keep it simple, keep it practical and keep it human. Bye for now.